You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'm going to quickly hand it over to Abby, my wife. Um, This is the second time that we've been asked to teach a kind of parenting class. And I don't know why they ask us to do this. Uh, And so just don't observe our children too closely and pretend that I'm some kind of expert. And uh, we'll we'll engage it that way. Um, what What I want to talk to you about is our journey. And share a little bit if we could open the doors of our home and show you a little bit about the haphazard, it's very haphazard, way we go about attempting to do this task of raising our kids in the fear of the Lord and particularly encouraging them when it comes to engaging the scriptures and Christ who is in the scriptures. And I pray that as we um, as we tell you some of the things that we do, that it might not feel burdensome, but if anything might stoke the flames of creativity for you all at your home, But the hope of this time is actually to end with uh, a good word to parents. Uh, And the first word I'll say is kind of a sad word, but I think it's true. And every time I say it, I see parents nod. Um, I feel, for me, I feel like a a successful person, by and large. I've achieved well in my schooling, um, and I feel like I do a good job in my job. And then I get home, and I'll tell you that... When I come home, I as a father uh, feel acutely every day my failure. Um, And sometimes it makes it really hard to come home, if I'm honest, because it's the one place where I don't feel all that successful. Um, And I find that when I go to bed at night and before I actually go to sleep, which is often the time where your real heart comes out before the Lord, by the way. At least I found that to be the case. When I get ready to go to to sleep, my prayers... um, often drift, and my mind often drifts, to reviewing all the ways that I've kind of blown it with my kids that day. Uh, that I've either, you know, I think about, yeah, just probably because I'm thumbing through Facebook and all my friends are posting these wonderful <laughs> psychological, uh, you know, articles about parenting and how we're wrecking our kids one way or another. And I'm thinking through all the, the ways that I fail my children. Um, and I really don't mean that as, as hyperbolic. This is almost my nightly... Uh, routine. Um, I I can't get around it. And I find myself crying out for the mercy of Jesus every night with regards especially to raising my children and feeling like, God, it's going to be only by your grace if they don't all end up in um, counseling for the next 50 years just talking about me, you know, (laughs) and dealing with me and the kind of father that I've been. Please take that as a preface uh, for what we're about to share of some of the details. But I wanted to pass it over to my wife, Abby. Uh, to talk a little bit about this stuff. Hopefully we have lots of time for questions. Okay, I will echo what Zach said. We are not experts. Uh, but I'm going to start by reading a passage from Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
the title of this class is Why the Bible is Critical for Your Child. And I will share with you that we've had a really busy season in the Hicks home. This fall has been crazy. Part of it, I think, is just that we have four kids and they have their own schedules now. They're 13, 11, 9, and 7, so they have things to do. And then we have schedules, and I just feel like for some one reason or another, it got away from us this fall. We had too much going on, and I felt like the margins of life disappeared. You know, there was no time to relax. There was no time to be together. We weren't doing the things that I would normally want to do as a family. There were less dinners together, less just time to relax and reflect. <laughs> it felt like, in a way, life was kind of living us instead of we were living life. And I know that I would never say that football practice is a priority over family time or Bible time, but it felt like that to me this fall. Um, and so Zach and I, I was convicted by that half, about halfway through the fall and thought, this is not what I intended. And I realized that we have five years left at home with our oldest and 10 years left at home with our youngest. And it is our privilege and duty to teach them and to train them and to help them. And I was thinking of all the things I do to teach them. We teach them how to mow the lawn. We teach them how to eat healthily. We teach them about all the food groups. We teach them how to clean their room and how to do their homework and how to have good hygiene. And we teach them life skills. You know, we are fountains of knowledge for our kids. But there's one thing that we don't usually offer them. We'll offer them everything else, you know, all these programming opportunities. But the one thing that really, really matters in our lives this fall and in, often in everyone's lives falls by the wayside. You know, we will drive them to karate and piano and art class, basketball, football, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts. We'll take them to the dentist. We'll take them to the eye doctor. We'll take them to the pediatrician a lot. But there's, you know, there's one thing that we often don't do with our kids. And so back to the title of the class, why is the Bible critical for your child? I will say that the Bible is critical because it's their very life. It's their everything. The Bible is their history. The Bible is their future. The Bible is their today. It's their comfort when they're sad. It's their hope when they're lost. It's their peace when they're scared. It is, um, gives them purpose and a plan for their lives, regardless of what this world is going to offer them. It tells them how to live. It tells them how to pray. It tells them how to ask forgiveness. It tells them what to worship and who to worship. It gives them everything, everything that they need for this life. And we would never intentionally handicap our kids. You know, we would never not have them brush their teeth. We would never let them go outside this morning without a jacket, although mine tried. We would, we would never do these things on purpose, the things that they need. Um, but we don't always give them the Bible, the one thing that tells them that they're unconditionally loved and that they are eternally forgiven by a Savior. And that often we don't give them. So at best, we're handicapping them at life. But at worst, I feel like we're feeding them the poison of this world that we let dictate what's important for our kids and that we let tell us how we should be spending our time with our kids and we let the world tell us what's valuable and what they need to know and they get stuck in this system and so i say all this i told zach i feel like the bad cop who has to get over here and say why are we doing this this is so important um but what i want to do is hopefully give you all hope and just share with you some of the ways that we've come up with to try to bring the bible into the home and really help what we know and believe to be a priority to actually look like a priority in our home and to find creative, easy ways to make it part of the language of the house every day. So on to you. So on to those things. Um, we found that kind of the first first place to demystifying the Bible, uh, besides giving them a vision of its overview, is simply to allow them to 
understand how to navigate it on their own, which is daunting. So chapters and books and verses and ways to find it. And so at least in the old evangelical context I grew up in, I commend to you the competitive practice of sword drills. Um, I commend, um, but even before that, we found like our kids are never going to engage. And a sword drill is two kids have a Bible and you name a verse. And the first one to get there gets some kind of prize. You wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't believe how much competition and sibling rivalry can motivate a kid <laughs> to get them where you want to get, right? But even before that, we found like the whole Bible, books of the Bible memorization is tough. Figuring out what the books are and what order they are and how to find them. And we found these videos on YouTube and we used them and we just started playing them randomly in our home, really not intentionally saying, sit down kids, let's all peacefully, you know, look up to the heavens with our hands, you know. It's just playing during the chaos of our home. When a, a boy was punching another boy, we would have the books of the Bible song playing, right? Um, and it's amazing what their subconscious picks up, but would you play it real quick? And might be on mute. It's fun. It's kind of cheesy. All my kids could sing this. Not because we tried very hard. Yeah, so you go to the next one. So that's uh, one of them. That's the Old Testament. And here's the kind of counterpart in the New New Testament as well. Just to give you an idea. And our, we would just play this over and over again in our car, at home. I don't know who made this. I bless the Lord for him or her. It's not terribly sing-songy. It's pretty good. You know, New Testament's a little shorter. So when we're sitting around our table and uh, we're asking our kids to open up their Bibles, uh, one of the things that we notice happens is when we say, open up to, you know, Second Peter something, they immediately start going, Math, you, Mark, Luke, John, and they start going through it. I'm like, well, that's a little slow. And if you do that, you're going to lose the sword drill, kids. So you're going to need to figure out a way to get through that. But it's amazing what their uh, spongy minds um, pick up when you stick it in songs. I really think that that's sort of mo- in a modern way applying this concept of uh, Deuteronomy 6 where it says, teach teach these things to your kids when you're walking around. Teach these things to your kids when you're just hanging out in your home. Place them on their foreheads. You know, uh, I think that's really the, the hallmark of what education is, is maybe even in opposition to merely having this formal time where you sit down with your children and educate them as though in a classroom. Because part of the reality is, is we don't even want our kids to think that faith is compartmentalized or it's something that just happens at church on Sundays. 
We want it to be something that permeates the air of our home. We want it to be something that they take with them when they're processing uh, science and math in school. Um, and that reminds me, sometimes when we're driving to school, I'll, I'll remind our kids, I'll just ask them what they're learning about. And I'll interject little comments like, isn't God's world pretty marvelous that you can study mitochondria and determine that he's, he's infinitely creative on the macro and micro level? Like you can see his creativity when you look at this world and you can see his creativity when you stare in a microscope. And who else is like our God? Who else is that creative and marvelous? Or isn't it crazy that in the mind of God, it's so organized that he can invent the scheme of logical numbers that works for us to understand and investigate all the way up through pre-calculus, right? That's all in the mind of God, right? Um, those kinds of conversations where you sort of turn observations into an opportunity to worship, allow it to become more than just kind of knowledge. It becomes awe. It becomes marvel. And it tethers the, the truth of God to everything that they're learning, that every everything, this is my father's world, right? All right, so... How do you encourage your children to memorize the scriptures? This is how the Hicks have done it. Bribery, bribery, bribery. <laughs> All day, every day. I was listening to a talk show host years ago, um, Dennis Prager. And, he said, and he's a Jewish man. And his wisdom was, I will use any technique necessary to get things into my kids. I will pay them money. All right? So here's what we do. We have, we have this chart of these Bible verses that we've given to you. And... Uh, when you look at these Bible verses on pages three, two through four, one of the things that we've kind of chosen is that if you look up, if you try to Google like Bible memory verses for kids, I, I want to give you a little warning. And that little warning is oftentimes they will pull the Bible memory verses that end up presenting Christianity as kind of behavior uh, modification. Oftentimes, like the top of that list is honor your father and your mother, right? And we all want our kids to memorize that. And we all want to use that in the moment of anger, which is a great time to use it, isn't it, parents? Hey, remember this scripture. Honor your parents. You know, like that's a, that's a wonderful thing not to do. Um, and so I actually think that it's valuable, especially early on when they're kind of grabbing scriptures, to give them the scriptures that feed them the gospel, feed them the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we've given you some of those passages there so that you can... You can see them. But we, uh, at various points, this is what we did early with uh, Joel and Jesse. We didn't continue this because I was too lazy for Brody and Brownman. They're kind of, you know, Brody and Brownman are going to be sort of spiritually stunted because we were all motivated with our first two kids and our second two kids are just sort of there, you know, like, oh, I forgot about you, you know. Um, but when Joel and Jesse were younger kids, I wrote on a poster board um, Apostles' Creed and references to a lot of these verses. A lot, all the books of the Bible. And I just did this thing where I, we taped it to their ceiling so that when they went to bed and were looking up, they just sort of have to stare at God's word coming down at them from above. Uh, but just sort of another way that they could see, you know, the, the word of God coming at them and they could remember. And then I would often remind them anytime you when they were younger, I could get away with a quarter. But anytime you memorize a verse, I'll, you know, a passage, I'll give you a quarter, a dimer. What was it? I mean, inflation's crazy in our home. But now uh, we have this chart and eh, it's not really used all that much. But at times when our kids are begging for money to go get candy or something like that, I'm like, you have a ready source of income available to you in our home. Go memorize a passage of scripture, tell it to me, and I'll give you a quarter. Four equals a dollar, and a dollar equals runts, or whatever it is that you love, and we'll go get it, right? Um, when our kids are complaining about money, turn it around and make a memorized scripture. 
use their sinful desires for the sake of, uh, you know, giving them the Bible. That's something that we've done. Un- unashamed bribery. We've done that before. Um, the Bible memory songs. The Google. Did you say something about this? I just said the Google. No. Okay. I think that's what we were talking about. Um, those things. Bible knowledge. Uh, if you feel like the Bible is mystif- uh, a mystifying document to you, one of the things I would encourage you with is actually grab this and almost use it like a primer to the Bible for adults. A pastor I work with actually recommended this to new, strangely to new Christians. He said, read your Bibles. And this is no replacement for the Bible. The Jesus story Bible is not the Bible, as uh, we'll remind you. But what it does marvelously is allow the, the Bible's themes to get traced and developed in a way that highlights Jesus, Jesus, Jesus everywhere. So that you're kind of trained to see him from Genesis to Revelation. And in addition to reading this with your kids, I think it's a fabulous resource for you to gain knowledge about the Bible so that when you actually go to read the scriptures, you're hearing the echoes and sometimes even, at least for us, seeing the images that are located um, in the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's been very helpful. This one too, um, this one we just happened upon because I was at a conference and the David C. Cook, who's the the publishers of this, were giving it away. Um, It's called the Action Bible. Some things are a little kind of random and and freaky, but if you have sort of a a comic booky interested, graphic novel interested type kid, uh, one of my sons, not all of them, one, Nate, did you like this one too? Did you read this at all? So Joel and Jesse both read this. He's over there. Yeah, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> Peanut gallery over there. Keeping me honest, right? I can't get away with anything. Um, this this uh, Bible called the Action Bible, uh, I, I was shocked one day when I was... T- I know, I was telling... I was saying, hey kids, there's this episode in Judges and I started talking about it. And Jesse was like, oh yeah, and he continue to rattle on what the story was about with pretty graphic detail. And I realized, hmm, maybe you shouldn't read Judges yet because Judges is kind of serious, right? Uh, I'm like, where did you get that? And he said, well, you know, at nights I've been staying up late. Oh my gosh, staying up late and reading this. He was reading this and it it, uh, it really has impacted him. And it may be for some of your kids that like graphic novels, this might be a great gift uh, for them as well. So the Action Bible um, this is something that we use in our house. Uh, this is what our imperfectly, when we actually are sitting down all together or mostly together at dinner, when our kids out at practice or mostly together and we're at around the table, this is what we do. It's a book called Theology, which is theology with a space, you know. Um, and what I love about this book is it's got really short chapters uh, that I end up using. I don't know that they intended it for kind of family devotions, but uh, a page like... A page like this, I take one page, it's got a passage of scripture there, and it's, it's got four flanking passages. So I just kind of randomly, I will pull out all our kids' Bibles uh, at, at the table, and as we're eating dinner, I'll say, hey, Joel, open up to John 6.35, and then we hear them saying the books of the Bible song. Open up to John 10, you know, I assign however many kids you have that many readings, and they're kind of opening to it. While they're opening, I will read that paragraph, and usually it kind of sparks our ability to just sort of talk about it. And Abby and I kind of banter. We don't prepare much. I'd, I'd like to say we prepared more, but I just literally bookmark it and open it, assign readings, and we go for it. And it ends up being like a kind of chaotic 10 to 15 minute discussion that I don't know what's sinking in. But what I love about this is that I'll say it's kind of like a systematic theology, an evangelical systematic theology for kids. It goes through 
attributes of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, doctrine of the church, uh, the crucifixion and the atonement, all these wonderful doctrines. And I find it pretty doctrinally reliable. It's in our bookstore as well. It actually has a CD by the same name. And I want you to check this out because this has been a real source of of catechesis in our home is listening to this. Uh, not only is the ology great doctrine uh, in the form of songs, but it's actually really good music production. It's not cheesy kids music. Um, a friend of mine in Louisville did this and I was just like, you, this is marvelous. Uh, so we'll give you, and it's all kinds of styles. So this one's sort of a, a blue grassy style about the two natures of Christ. Imagine that. Um, just click on I would say that the theology book is probably good for kids six and older. Uh, I mean, you could obviously do it younger and just make the language more simple. But if you're uh, looking for a younger book, well, this is sort of a companion devotional written to go by the same author as the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Uh, it's the same kind of art. And these are short little devotions that you can do with your kids at dinner or before bed. Uh, so I would say this is more a precursor to the theology book. But this is a great one that the kids can read on their own or they can read it. Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. That's really hard to understand. So let me try to explain. This is actually one of the more cheesy ones because it's sort of a, you know, it's a throwback to like oldies. But it's great. I'll get to the chorus, actually. So did you hear in the verses how each verse contrasted uh, or juxtaposed his humanity with his divinity? You know, Jesus, uh, his word upholds the universe, but he had to go to school first to learn how to write his name. I mean, what a, what a wonderful way for kids to understand the paradox of totally God, totally man. Uh, there's, there's some really great songs on here. Um, Brick After Brick is all about the church and what it means to be a member of Christ's church. Uh, You're Coming Back is a wonderful song about repentance. Um, here, I'll just let you... I first introduced this song to our kids on Halloween. It's all about sin. It's a little judgy, but uh, it's, pre- it's pretty good. It, it's the most Disney-sounding kind of song. Sounds sort of like... Um, yeah, anyway. It's Disney-sounding. It's great. No, yeah, sad Disney. Like scary Disney. 
<laughs> Ursula, right. Remember this? <laughs> it separates us from our God. It's a great one. If you really, if you really hate your kids, they're being extra sinny that day. Make them listen to this in, in a dark room alone. You know, freak them out, right? Spiders are scary. You know, other things are scary, but sin is scarier. You're gonna die. Which, I mean, I say that. That's actually the word of God. That's actually the word of God that tells us that the wages of sin is death. Um, and so we were driving around on Halloween and I said, here's a scary song. And I played this. I don't I'm sure I'm wrecking my kids, but it was marvelous. It felt totally appropriate. People were walking around in goblin outfits and we were listening to Sin together. Um, some other albums that I think are really good and commendable uh, is, is this one. And this gets into catechism type stuff. So if you want them to learn doctrine in a sing-songy way, we actually use this at the Advent with some of our small kids. Uh, Lida Burnett will, will lead our kids in singing this. This Ask Me Who also in our bookstore. And then uh, over here, uh, shorter catechism songs produced by my friend Bruce Benedict. I actually used to memorize for my ordination exams. I really did. Uh, and they're kind of rock settings of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a little strange sounding, but they really work to make the song stick. And there was a time where we were, sort of, our kids were sort of listening to this in our car. We don't anymore, but we used to. And they can sort of rattle off the, what is God? God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, and holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The only reason I have that memorized is because I can hear a song in my head that's from that. Um, there's another great outfit besides Sovereign Grace, who's the one who did the Ology album, um, called Rain for Roots. Rain for Roots has three albums out, and it's kind of all about summaries, and it's actually all these really cool hipster Nashville singer-songwriter moms who came together to uh, write songs for their kids. And so they're really great songs, really great production, and uh, fabulous doctrine for your children. Rain for Roots is something you can Google as well. Final, final thing I want to say before I open up to questions is uh, besides all this sort of educational stuff, there's a what I would call an affective co component for dads and moms. Um, and it is regular attendance in worship and active participation in worship. I'll tell you that one of the reasons I'm probably a pastor today and one of the reasons that uh, God has instilled a passion in the Word of God in me was simply because when I was a kid and we were standing and singing hymns in church, I could look up at my mom 
and see tears streaming down her face. And I still have those uh, visual, vivid images of my mom and my dad engaged, engaged with their hearts in worship. And I'll tell you that that probably spoke more than any sort of lecture or lesson by a youth pastor or anything else. Because when one's heart is engaged in something, it's contagious. It really is contagious. And I find that passionate worship becomes something of a a catalyst for young worshipers especially, but other worshipers, to want to experience whatever is going on in my mom. My mom and dad are obviously connecting with something very deep here as they say these prayers, as they sing these hymns, as they sort of hang on to every word of the sermon as though their life depended on it, right? Um, When kids see that, there's a different kind of education um, coming. And And for that reason, I will say it's really important to be in church and it's really important to engage these hymns if, if we're wanting to be serious about, uh, you know, modeling and giving Jesus to our children. They need to see and receive through osmosis this kind of love uh, for the Lord. And before I, I'll end with what I, what I want to call a vision for the truly Christian home. But any questions or, or comments from everybody else? Yeah. Do your kids go to public school? They do. They do. They're in the Vestavia school system. Cahaba Heights, Liberty Park, and eventually Vestavia High School. Yeah. Sorry, I just I know. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think we felt they were at a private Christian school in Florida where we moved from last year, and we both of us felt, a, I guess, a sense of needing to step it up when we left there because they were getting a lot of good Bible teaching there and a lot of Bible memorization, and you know they were learning a lot. And uh, I think we both felt like, okay, you know, we really even more now, this is falling squarely on our shoulders. Yeah. Yes. Moralistic, sure. And so I find that we have a problem, something we've talked about a lot, is how do we protect our children from, I know this is probably unique to our little area of the world, but how do we protect them from um, moralistic influences? Mm. How do we direct them back towards the the real gospel? The gospel. Because I feel like it's almost two different religions. Well, I think it is. I mean, that's what the Reformation identified, that, yes, uh, that's where I'm going to end, actually. So I'll I'll suspend answering that question because that's a really good one. It's a really good one. Yeah, I like to do a series on because most people here probably met Mark of Estavia or Homewood. This is all I got, people. Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to do my kid is in public school. How I bring Christ in. Oof. I know. Okay. Wow. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. I second that. <laughs> okay, that's that's good. That's good. Mm. Sorry. I think we have had the opportunity. I know in the middle school they have clubs. Once a month they had Bible club. Um, and one of the teachers taught it. It was a FCA club. And eighth graders got to choose first and seventh and sixth. And it was full before eighth graders even finished. FCA is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah. So Zach had thought about, well, I'll lead a Bible club. You know, I mean, a part of it. And there's one at our elementary school that meets once a month on Wednesday mornings before school. And so I think really it falls on us. If we want to see something good, true, you know, not work-spaced in the schools, then I think we have to be willing to step in and lead it. Yeah. Yeah, so certainly the danger is that um, 
what we don't want is that our, our kids grow up with an understanding that Christ, Christianity is about right behavior and modification of said behavior and that that's what makes you a Christian. Uh, and that's precisely what I want to say here is, I don't know, I, I grew up hearing things like the vision of the Christian home. And they wouldn't put it quite like this, but this was the ultimate picture. Well-behaved children and sort of morally governed parents who made right political decisions and ethical decisions. And I'm not discounting that those things define or those things are part of the ethical kingdom structure of what it means to be a Christian. But I'll tell you, and I said this to the other uh, class that we taught, I, I know, I mean, Abby and I lived in, um, lived in Denver next to a wonderful family. Uh, they were an Indian family. They were Hindus. And their morals outpaced ours. They were much better behaved. They were much more concerned and dedicated system, uh, citizens. And their kids, uh, well, were, you know, a little bit better behaved than ours sometimes, right? Um, and we just found that that's not actually what makes a home a Christian home. The ethics and morals, yes, are important, but what makes it a Christian home is that it's a place where everybody's on their knees looking to Jesus. And while that sounds kind of platitudinous, here's how I want to make this real obvious. Uh, I try to say this to families when I'm uh, encouraging them and they're preparing for the baptism of their kid. One of the best things you can do if you want to raise them in a Christian home is apologize a lot. Why? Because it levels the playing field about sin and salvation. It levels the playing field. If you apologize, you create an immediate context for repentance. And you're able to repent before your children and say, I'm sorry, I blew it, I need Jesus. You know. And then all of a sudden, when your kids are blowing it, you can offer that as a context where they can learn what it means that all six of us are here in need of Christ and His blood and His merit and His satisfaction for our lives. You know, and so making the home, what I would say, a place of repentance, making the home a place where when we do mess up, the place where we run is to the cross of Jesus. That's what makes a home a Christian home. Yes, good behavior is marvelous. It's ethical and it pleases the Lord. It blesses and it's the fruit of the Spirit. But we will never get there apart from being a home that perpetually and ongoingly repents. And it may be the most important tactic of the discipleship of your children to model that repentance and to encourage that in the way that they interact and apologize to one another. One of the little liturgies that we engage, we were engaging it yesterday, is not only say, say tell your brother that you're sorry. We encourage that other person who's been wronged against to say, not only it's okay, but I forgive you. Why? Because that's, that's the language of the gospel there. That sin in Christ gets not only okayed, but forgiven, right? Forgiven. I drop this. This is gone forever and ever. Amen. Any other thoughts or questions? Thanks for letting me be a little sarcastic and weird. Thanks for peering into our family's life. Be glad to have any more conversations with you. God bless you all for the journey. Let me pray for you right now. Dear Lord, I pray for all the kids and homes represented in this room. And I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to spread and preach that sweet gospel, that good news about who Jesus is and what he's done to these homes. And I pray that you'd make us all less hard of heart and more willing to humble ourselves, apologize to our kids, to uh, expose our sin and our need of grace before our children, that they too might learn what it means to come before Jesus and look to him as our all in all. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.